Your favorite band's about to play a sold-out show, and you definitely got tickets. And drinks. Now hurry and make it back to your spot. Pass this person and that person about 20 more. Ooh, watch out for feet. Hey. Just keep going. A little further. Oh, there's your friend. Over here. Right where you want to be. Close enough to see the set list. And they're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. Here's a fun fact. The majority of the listenership for this show is between 45 and 59 years old. Pretty awesome. Um, I'm close to that age range as I'm 42. Um, And this time of life could be considered the midlife time. And with that, it brings a lot of different emotions and feelings. A sense of, what have I done with my life? Where am I going from here? Today's guest is Laura Rubin, who is a midlife navigator. She's steering the ship, or helping people steer the ship of their lives as they enter this special time in life. I choose to see it as a celebration. I've made it this far, and hopefully I have many more years to go. I hope you enjoy the conversation that I had today with Laura Rubin. All right, Laura, thank you for being with me today. We got all the kinks figured out. Yes, we now did. It's game time. How are you doing today? I am doing great today, Darian. Thanks for asking. Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, reaching out a while back. It feels like a while back whenever I book people and then we finally make it to the recording. <laughs> That's exactly right. It has been a while back, but I've been anticipating and looking forward to it. So are you on podcasts pretty regularly or how do you? um... I am actually. And and just because I've just started, it isn't anything that I've done for a long period of time, but I really, I really enjoy sharing my message. I really enjoy talking with people conversationally uh, via the podcasts. And it's just a great avenue to share what you're passionate about and, you know, to help other, just to reach out to other people and, you know, audiences and share your message. I love it. That's great. I mean, I'm clearly I like it, but but uh, I'm glad you've had very positive experiences with that. So let's jump into what you are passionate about. I'm going to try to get this right because this was a while ago. It was, <laughs> you. but it I want to say it was a there was something about women in their 40s and kind of that transition and related to that. Am I right or wrong about that? That is correct. I yes. am a good job. I'm the uh, midlife navigator, I call myself, and I basically guide women in midlife to believe in themselves, take back their lives, and step into their feminine power. Basically, figure out who they are and what matters to them, and to live the second half of their life on purpose and on their terms. So, when did this come to you? When did this, when was the idea of this and working in this arena? When did that kind of come about? I would say my mid-40s, I reached a point where I 
from all intensive purposes, from the outside, everything looked great. I had ticked off all the boxes, college, career, marriage, children, all was going well. And I hit about 45 and was like, something's missing. It's not quite right. At that point, I had lost my job and I had I had been a serial entrepreneur most of my life. And so and in and out, I worked in corporate and then worked for myself. And so when I lost my job, I thought to myself, is this something, do I want to go back to what I'm good at and what I've done all along, which after about three years, I'd think, oh, I want to change. I want something different. Or do I really want to figure out who I am and what I want to do. And I decided that rather than jump back in to something that I'm good at, but maybe not passionate about, that I'd go on this journey to really discover, you know, what was important to me. And hopefully with the idea that in three years, I wouldn't be bored and want to do something different. So I went on this journey. And in doing so, I realized that in midlife, I was not the only woman, other woman that was feeling the same, the same thing, feeling lost, feeling not sure what, uh, you know, what the second half is going to be like, maybe even resigned to the fact that this was all there was, that there was nothing else. And so in doing my research, I started sharing with other women. And I, again, realized that there were others that felt the same way as I did. And I got so excited about what I was learning and I started sharing. I'll tell you, I tried to share it with my children and they were like, okay, mom, that's really great. Glad you're doing that. But obviously did not get it different stage in life. And so from there, I just felt really called to share what I was learning and to help other women along the journey, because I had bounced around, had, you know, did the internet research and checking things and trying to find my path. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great because I'm so excited about this information, wouldn't it be great if I could take it and share it with others and and lift other women up and bring them along with me? And thus the Midlife Navigator was born. What is the research that you uncovered uh, as you're getting into this? Tell me some key points, things that you learned. for, For me, it was, this was a time to really dive deep into getting off autopilot and, um, you know, off the hamster wheel and start really paying attention to what I liked and what I didn't like saying yes to things that were important to me and really being able to say no to the things that I've started to realize were not important to me. You know, we kind of go through life, you know, raising our, you know, getting our career going, raising our children, all of those, you know, little pieces that society has said, this is the, you know, the avenue to the great life. It's what all our friends are doing. And so we just kind of go along on that path until we take a step back. Maybe we have a divorce in midlife. Our children are leaving the home. Maybe we're dissatisfied with our job. Something sparks and you think, okay, maybe there's more. And then you start start digging into what's important to you, what's not important to you. So that's kind of the start because I feel like we've spent the first 40 years, maybe not truly knowing who we are and just kind of following the path that everybody else was following. So that's kind of the first step is just kind of stripping all the labels away, the labels of mom, wife, CEO, business owner, whatever those labels are, stripping those away and discovering who we are without the labels. What is it about that 40 number to us that sometimes drives us in a weird direction or 
causes us to change and do different things. What have, what have you uncovered about that? I think the 40 number is a place where we have traveled enough in our lives and we realize we might be on the second half or we're getting close to the second half. Our children, like we talked about, our children are growing, moving out of the house. You know, we don't feel the same way about our job that we used to feel. So it's just kind of that point where think there's just this little tick, the, the switch flips and we start looking at, okay, I'm 40. I have another 40, maybe 45, maybe 50, which we'd all like, maybe even 60. But we realize that the beginning is kind of done. And now we're moving into the second half. And we want to make sure that the second half is even better than the first half, and maybe more in line with who we are. So when you're working with people or, you know, midlife navigation, I like it's like a ship, you know, exactly. What have you learned so far about this time in life and the people you've worked with? What, the biggest thing I've learned is that many of us reach this point in our lives and feel guilty that we don't know what we're supposed to be when we grow up, if those are the terms guilty. we want to use. Guilty. Interesting. They're, Explain that a little further. Sure. You bet. So I ha- I've had a client that came to me at 52 and she's like, I, I'm 52 and I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And almost, like I said, was ashamed, was guilty. I have women that feel also feel guilty because on the outside, job, uh, career, home, beautiful children, wonderful husband, you know, people will would look at them and go, I want that life. And yet it's not enough. And they think they want more. They feel guilty that they're not necessarily, quote unquote, happy with what they have. Now that doesn't mean they're unhappy. It's just, they realize that something's not quite aligned. something that there, there needs to be more. It's almost like the first 40 years or the first half of our life as women are spent nurturing others. We hit 40 things, start opening up and we want to start nurturing ourselves. And so we almost, because we've been conditioned to take care of others, we hit this point, we feel guilty about that as well. Taking care of ourselves. We don't know who we want to be, you know, or what we really want to do with our lives at this age. And from the outside, it looks like we have it all going on. How do you think that is, well, what are the differences that you've seen in this attitude, maybe from historically? Like where we're at now as people are 40 versus maybe where they were, let's say in the 50s and 60s related to turning 40. And that's, it's a great question. My comment is always, this is not my mother's midlife. So I talked to my mother about what I'm doing and she just looks a little puzzled and says, hmm, I was very happy with where I was at 50, you know, when she was 50 and she's 89 now. And I think some of that is because in in the past and in different, you know, state, we're in a different stage with technology and women really, you know, taking, you know, taking control of their life or taking control of companies and being vibrant and alive. And I think our longevity, we live longer now. And that longevity isn't tagged on to the end, it's tagged on to the middle. And so we have more opportunities now to do more with our lives. And I think we're all more motivated to do so than 
know, 50 years ago when, you know, they were housewives and they were happy to be at home. And, you know, the, maybe the family revolved around their husband and he was the breadwinner and things like that. So that has changed. Whereas women are definitely more in control of their lives and what they're doing and they have aspirations and goals. And we have a lot more technology and and life's just a little different than it was. So how do you see that moving into the future? Let's say, you know, our children and their age and uh, particularly uh, women as they grow up and they hit 40, let's say down the line, will that be different for them and how they're dealing with being 40 in your mind? I think at least what I'm hoping is that when my children turn <clears throat> turn 40, the conversation that society is having around midlife and being in midlife is more positive. When you think of the word midlife now, lots of times the first word you the next word you think is crisis. And I don't see this as a midlife crisis. I see it as a midlife awakening. But I think this is a learning process for all of us to realize we aren't in crisis mode, although crisis mode forces us to change, you know, that this is an awakening. And I'm hoping that when my children reach their forties, that that's more accepted and they accept it, you know, and it's just the next step that they go to. They're not having to necessarily figure out who they are or what they want to be, that they, that they've taken those steps ahead of time. And they see that 40 or midlife is just the beginning of the next chapter and they can now do things differently or they can, um, you know, they have just have a different view on life. So how do you see that um, when you're working with people and they say, I, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And like to say they're 52, what are the mechanisms and the attitudes that have led to that? I, I hear you on the taking care of others, but is there other things beyond that that are related to that attitude? I think sometimes you know, as women, we don't think that we have what it takes. We don't, um, you know, we're, again, we, our goal or our, we're raised inside to be moms, to be wives, and we haven't quite looked outside the box at what else that we can do and our capabilities. Although I will tell you, I think it's changing. And again, that's why when women are reaching midlife, we're starting to look at things a little bit differently and want something different and want more uh, you know, at that point. So I think it's changing. I think that we're all starting to look at our lives a little bit differently and to take more charge of it and believe that there's more for us out there. So what's been the biggest challenge in doing this work? I think the biggest challenge is taking the time for yourself and realizing being proud of who we are and proud of what we've had to, what we have to offer and to stepping out of our comfort zone because we've lived in our comfort zone up until this point. So really living life on our terms and living, making midlife our best life is about stepping out of our comfort zone a little bit, stripping away the labels and looking at our life differently and really digging into what matters to us, which may be something that mattered to us in our 20s. But when we got on the career track and we got married, we kind of let that go. And now it's about, you know, rediscovering what those things are and just really being willing to step out of the comfort zone. Because, again, we are at a place where a lot of us are uh, we're on a hamster wheel. We're on autopilot. And we just kind of go through the days and really you know, one day seems just like the next day, like the next day. So it requires, you know, stepping out 
and doing things, you know, little things, little actions every day. It doesn't have to be a big move, just one little thing every day that is different than what you did before on your exploration journey. Do you ever have conversations with people related to specifically to like empty nesting? And yeah, we talk about that a lot. Yes. Yeah. Cause I've, it's interesting. I, in, in my line of work and working with people, I work with a lot of women in their forties and what I've noticed over my 20 years of in, in the fitness career, working with women at that age is there, that empty nesting point is a real time of contention on some level because often and, and this is men too, I think, especially as well as there hasn't been a real sense of developing things outside of the family unit unit for yourself. Um, like, what do you like to do? Like passions, hobbies. And, and often what I would get is, I don't know. I don't know what I would like to do outside of this. And so often there can be this sticking point of um, making the child their, their continued sticking point or the continued... Um, lifeline to hang on to for relevance in the family. Have you ever, have you talked about that a little bit, you know, almost a smothering and yes. trying to continue to have relevance through the child versus individualism and doing your own thing? Yeah. And that's exactly right. And you described it perfectly that they've spent their lives nurturing their children to be wonderful people. And now these children are old enough to go out into the world and they feel lost because they don't know who they are without that nurturing component. And that's where, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and being willing to let your children go, live their lives, know that you did a good job. And now to turn that, that direction or that nurturing onto yourself, which where some of the guilt comes in because they're so used to nurturing outwardly. It's, they don't, they feel self like they're being selfish if they start nurturing inwardly and start looking at what's important to them. So yes, that is a huge conversation at, you know, at midlife as the children leave and there's emptiness syndrome. It's interesting too, is that you've also had a generation of people who and in many ways don't empty nest because they've delayed adulthood quite a bit, you know, youth. And so they're living with their parents a lot longer. And it seems like that may also contribute to some feelings of lack of identity as they're extending the childhood in, in many ways, you know. Exactly. I would agree with you a hundred percent on that. The the boundary isn't done. I mean, they're in a period of a midlife where that's their chance to start exploring who they are, and yet you're right. Their children are still living at home. So there's that confusion is where am I on this track? Am I still a mom taking care of my, my adult children or <laughs> do I get to take time and, and, you know, nurture myself and take care of myself. And that's a tough place to be in. Yeah, I would imagine. So, I mean, my daughter's like going to be nine years old coming and I try to think, I'm like, what's that going to be like? I mean, I don't know, but you know, it's, if your child is with you through their early thirties and stuff, and they're struggling, you know, to get out and live on their own, how does that affect your own identity as a parent, as you're maybe in your fifties or sixties or whatever, and you're trying to do your thing, but you have this other person who's trying to establish their identity, but still at home with you, you know? Right. Exactly. And that is the struggle because it's, you're still in that parent role, even though they're at an age where you should you did, shouldn't need to be in the parent role, but once a parent, always a parent. I mean, I my kids are twenty eight and thirty six, 
35, something like that. And still, and they don't live at home, but you know, we talk on a regular basis and when they have, you know, hard things going on in their lives, it's hard for me. So once a parent, always a parent. Yeah. And when you have them still living in your home at the older age, you're still in that parent mode. It is difficult to switch that off and start taking care of yourself. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine, and when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences, and it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut, stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. So... What are the more surprising things that you've learned in this journey and kind of your midlife navigation? Let's see. Surprising. I think surprising is that there were in the beginning, there were other women just like me. Again, you because it's not talked about or it hasn't been and hope we're hoping to change the conversation. But you think what's wrong with me? And then to discover that this is really kind of normal, that this is a normal place to be and it's okay. And the worst thing that you can do is stay here. So you figured it out. Now it's time to do something about it. It's time to take some action. So the fact that I wasn't the only one, that was a little bit of a surprise to me. And it was also, it was energizing. It It was nice to realize that I was not the only one that was struggling with the same questions and the same feelings and that kind of thing. So that was surprising to me. The other thing that's surprising to me is that there are women still out there that I talk to that feel like they're too old. It's too late. And they use those terms. And that's sad to me because I I don't subscribe to that way of thinking. And so uh, I am surprised that there are still women out there that are feeling like that because I'm like, no, you don't have to feel like that. Where are they getting that from in your mind? Where's that mentality coming from? I think that it's the it's what we've been fed from society. Like you know, um, you hit fifty and you retire and you don't do anything else with your life and you go play on the golf course and you travel. Now, don't get me wrong, that works for some people, and I'm not. I wouldn't if that works for you, then go do it. But I think a lot of us want to do more and we want to contribute more, and as a result. Um, you know, but we're, we've not been modeled that we don't have a model to the, to how that works as we get into midlife. And so that's what I want to see changed. I want, I want to change one woman at a time so that we're all modeling this new way so that others that come up behind us can do the same thing and realize it is possible. What's interesting. You mentioned about retirement and there's, uh, I don't think a lot of people are very, they have a lot of knowledge on what retirement actually was meant for. 
Mm-hmm. And in the past, historically, because we, we, we live in this headline culture where we just read stuff and we don't actually read stuff. We read a headline and don't look in, but it really wasn't meant to be set up the way it is now where people, you know, live to 65, or whatever, and then they, you know, retire. It wasn't really based off of that. Right. Uh, we have created that system with people, but now we're in an age where, um, you know, more people are saying, you know, I don't want to retire. I don't want to just do nothing. You know, like I want to continue to be productive and I want to, in terms of like keeping my mind active, because what happens for a lot of people is they retire and yes, golfing and stuff like, but there's, there's this sense of this malaise of like, I retired, I've done this work and now I just kind of, I watch TV all day, you know, (laughs) like, right. I don't do anything like stimulating. And I think that's the, I think there's, there's a place for that, but I also think there's, it's also kind of jellies our brain in many ways, you know? I think it also, as a result, it hastens the aging process. Agreed. Agreed. You know, the, the, as a personal trainer, you know, the more active you are, as you, you know, get older, the better, the more active you keep your body, the more active you keep your brain. So sitting on the couch you know, doing nothing or not having a purpose or all the, they have proven that it just increases the aging process. So yes, I agree with you hundred percent. I do not think, and, and you were right that retirement was set way back when, because it was a way I read this book called the longevity project, I mm-hmm. believe is what it was called. And it specifically talked about what retirement back, you know, back originally was for was to, you know, get the older uh, workforce out of working so that the younger work, you know, workforce could come in. And then, so then they came up with the retirement world and all those things to try to make it enticing and things like that as well. And I feel like as a, as a society, as you mentioned, that doesn't work for us anymore. And yet we're still under that same model. Yeah, exactly. And then you have people who are living much longer into retirement. And so you're telling somebody for 20, 25 years, they can, you know, there's not a lot going on besides just traveling and right. watching TV, maybe golfing a little bit. And again, I'm not saying those those are bad things. They're they're part of the equation. I just don't think they should be the entire equation. You I would know, agree. Continue to stimulate yourself and do productive things. Be active with your mind, your body, your spirit. You know, environmentally, whatever it is. And I think that's changed. I think less people are wanting to retire, actually. They're seeing people just kind of fall apart as they get older. Right. And when you hit that, and it's like, no, no, I want to continue to be viable. And so I think it's going to impact our workforce as you're getting older people working in the workforce for much longer than they originally Yes, and I I was going to say that. I think, you know, they say retirement age 65, but I think people are going to work until 75 because it's just the way it is. The other thing to remember is, it, and then the flip side of that is you'll talk, you hear about ageism and if you, you know, if you've lost your job after 50 to try to find a job is really, another job is really difficult, yeah. which I believe is sad because I think these companies, employers are overlooking the wisdom and the years that we have as we age that really is a a viable, is viable information to grow. I think if you have a combination of a younger workforce and the the wiser elder workforce, you bring those together. That's a great combination. The younger, you know, the younger workforce has the technology, makes quick decisions, you know, does those kind of things as the older, you know, an older workforce 
we, we draw from our experiences, great wisdom there that, you know, we can look at the big picture and help when making decisions. I think companies are doing a disservice if they're not looking at, you know, having an older workforce as well. Totally true. Actually, I was just telling my wife the other day, because we always have these like later in the evening, very deep conversations. There's like another podcast, I swear. I'm just, just having these things. And I'm like, do you remember when we were like our early 20s? And I was like, we're pretty stupid. Like, you're like, <laughs> yes. Honestly, you're not that intelligent when you're like 22, 23, 25. No. You're actually fairly dumb because you think you know a lot, but then you have no wisdom or background or experience to back up the things you know and to talk about you know, really deep experiences. Like you just haven't had the time. No, you know? not but at all. You think you know everything. You think you're so intelligent. But, and then you look back 20 years later and you're like, that was so dumb. Like, why did I think that? Yep. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's exactly right. You're exactly right. And it is, it's the life experiences that gives you the wisdom that when you hit midlife, you're a lot smarter. And I, I, for one, I don't want to go back and be 20 again. Never. I want to go back and be 30 <laughs> again. I feel like each year is better. And, and the stuff that I did before, that's great. Glad that happened then, but I don't want anything to do with it right now. I'm in a much better place than I was. And, you know, all of those things that you experience, you have to. It, it, it molds you into who you are. And so I don't think, as I said, I would never change any of that, but I certainly don't want to go back and be that person again. It was funny. Somebody asked me one time whether I'd, I'd rather be 42 or 22. And I said, well, I mean, I can only look at my own circumstance. Like I, you know, if I look at how my body is and how my mind, I'd much rather be 42 because I'm at the point where my 22 year old body is very similar to my 42 year old body, but my 42 year old mind is way different than my 22 year old mind. <laughs> way better. Awesome. That is so awesome. And that's the thing to remember too, is your 42 year old body, if you take care of it, if you've taken care of it can be similar to your 22-year-old body. So it's the mind that gets better as we age. The mind is like drastically different. Yes. And I think we think of youth as this great panacea and that wouldn't you like to be in, you know, 16 again, 22? I'm like, ah, no, I was fairly stupid at that time. I don't know. I, I mean, if you're honest with yourself, you, and you're really honest with yourself, you really didn't know much. I mean, you right. didn't. Right. And for me, physically, I, I'm in better shape now than I was when I was in my mid 20s, because I wasn't working out or taking care of myself or eating, you know, healthy. And so now I do all of that way more than I did in my mid 20s. So I'm actually even healthier now than I was when I was 25. The only thing I had going for me at 25 is I had a younger body, you know, that the <laughs> hadn't been used as much, but not a big deal. This sounds like a car conversation. It does. <laughs> like, <laughs> it does. I think it's gone there. And we, went, we went to this like, oh, we're like car parts now. And exactly. Stuff. <laughs> like, <That's funny. laughs> it's, it's just interesting because I think the converse, one of the things why I wanted to speak with you when you reached out, I was like, oh, yes, be good. Because it's really a conversation about our lifespan mm-hmm. and how we move through that lifespan, the different lifetimes within lifetimes. Yes. And how do we navigate each different lifetime within it. You know, you're, you know, you're look. it's kind of almost like chapter one, two, three, and four in a sense, yes. you know, and how do you navigate that? And then, you know, when you're at this, I'm 42, you know, in this forties, it's like, where do you go from there? 
how do you, you're, you've been in a work career, or maybe you haven't been in something you love for a long time or really like to do. And it becomes this turning point, this critical time in, in your human existence of inventory. What have I done? What have I done? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why when people hit midlife, they do that inventory and maybe they're not quite as happy with the inventory as they hoped. And they realize that the invent that after taking the inventory, they were doing what they thought they should, the dreaded should, as opposed to taking control and doing what they really wanted. And that's why it's so great that if you get to that point at 40, you hopefully have 50 more years to turn that around and, and end really doing the things that you want and living life on your terms and the way that you want to do it. I have a question for you. This is, this is a, we're going to go deeper here. I've had this conversation. This is appropriate, I think, for what we're talking about. So maybe I'm sure you've heard of this, lots of scientists and things working on life extension Mm -hmm. and on a larger concept, some scientists, futurists discussing human immortality. What do you think we'd get done if we had almost infinite life? I, I actually kind of skeptical of it in my mind, you know. I, you know, I, I, I am too. I'm. I think that on the surface, you might think, oh, immortal immortality. I can live forever. But I think that there's something to be said also for you know the continued learning and the, and the, what the younger generation brings along with it. And, you know, I don't, I honestly, I love my life, but I don't necessarily know that I want to live and have immortality because how much can you really do? How much can you really keep going? I don't know. How much Netflix can you watch? Right. Exactly. So for me, uh, immortality, I'm not, that's not my thing. It's not for me. I would rather live the life that I have, that I know that I've got, you know, start to finish to the best of my ability. And I'm okay with that. I don't feel the need to be immortal, but that doesn't interest me. Maybe that interests somebody else and they'd have a different perspective on that. But for me, I feel like I'm doing great work. I'm better today than I was before. I'm hoping that in 10 years, I'm better than I was before. But at some point I realized that, you know, the time, my time will come and I'll look back and hopefully leave a great legacy. And I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied with that. What's interesting. I think I have a very similar aspect to that, but I was in a conversation with a guy who's a great guy, you know, who does work in a, in uh, artificial intelligence, AI. And, and we were t- discussing about how artificial intelligence and many some of the positives is giving people more time to do things that they're passionate about mm-hmm. and just giving people more time to, you know, move above kind of Maslow's hierarchy of just your basic level needs and whole things. And I kind of counter back was like, well, what makes you think if you give people more time, they'll do more with it? That was exactly what I was <laughs> talking about that. So you basically have given them more time not to do what they know they want to do. To or do. do. That's, <laughs> that's kind of how I looked at that. It, that is great in theory if people take advantage of it. But I'm afraid that you're going to find a lot of people that aren't going to take advantage of it. And all you've done is give them more nothing time or whatever that looks like. I don't necessarily think that that means they're going to actually do something with it. I don't, I actually, I don't want to feel like I'm this negative person. I'm very positive, but it's just kind of like the nature of humans is that a lot of times you give us a lot of time, we end up filling it with like nothing. And then it's like, 
if you give people two tasks to do in a day, it takes them all day to do it. Literally. If there's something is it says that the task or the time takes the task or something, however that yeah. works. Yes, exactly. And then the thought to me is why do you need to give me more time to do this? Why am I not doing it right now? I have time. I have this time and I have, you know, this life right now. Why do you need to give me more time so that I can do those things? So that your midlife could be 80 or a hundred. Well, and then you're not. like, I've so spent a hundred years then, doing nothing. <laughs> but then the thought becomes, okay, what kind of medical things or innovations are you going to come up with so that, because my 80 year old body, which I hope is in good shape because I'm taking care of it. I'm not sure that what's it going to be like at 160. Are you going to give me medical, you know, innovations that are going to keep my body young as well? Yeah. It's there. It's just a very deep conversation, very existential conversation. I think because for me, it just relates to that whole 40 and it's things like, well, you can move that 40 to anything you want to move it to. Mm-hmm. The question is, regardless of where you place that timeline, are you going to do something? Are you going to actually do the things you say you want to do to accomplish in your life? And often that can be very challenging you know, sometimes people say, oh, I had a month off. And they go, wouldn't it be nice to have a month off? I'm like, kind of. <laughs> like, yes, yes. Maybe. Like, what do you, the first two weeks you're pumped about it. And then after that, you're like, what do I do with myself? Right. You know? Yo, your month off works if you have a plan. Now, now yeah. granted, you don't want to plan every minute of it. Of but if you go into that month going, okay, I would like to have this accomplished by the end of the month and you you know, do whatever that is, then that's okay because you still have a purpose. I think, and I've read, you know, read a lot about this, without a purpose, we age faster. We, we, you know, we don't take care of ourselves, that kind of thing. Have a purpose for that month and then maybe you can enjoy the month off. Oh yeah, you, it's, it's the whole thing with structure, having structure. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would imagine when you're working with people, you know, you have to build that into as part of the thing. Okay, it's not enough to say this is what I want to do in my 40s, kind of make this turn. What is the, what are the, what is the plan? What are the steps you're going to actionable plans to actually get to this thing that you want to do? And that's exactly right. We start with you know diving deep, making making a plan. But a plan is only as good as the action that you take, you know, that you take with it. So you're exactly right. You can sit behind the computer, you can sit at your desk, you can journal, you can do all those things. But until you actually step out and make start taking actionable steps, you're not getting anywhere. And the thing about the actionable steps are um, is that if you fail, now you know what you don't like or what you, you need to do better. So you learn just as much by not doing it right or failing as you do as discovering. You just you figure out just as much what you don't like as what you do like. And that's just that's great information as well. So tell me, and pivoting just a little bit here, tell me your thoughts related to technology in midlife and how that's changed how we see this time in our lives. I think it has opened up a ton of avenues and a ton of opportunities for us to take advantage of. And not just in midlife, just throughout any stage of our lives. It gives us you know, great knowledge, great way to, um, you know, just to 
improve ourselves. But again, it can be a time suck. So you've got to be careful that you don't get sucked into that and then not going out and taking the action. So you've got to find that fine line and that balance between the two. Certainly. I think we're in a, I'm doing some presentations coming up on like the history of technology and, and it's related to fitness, but it's, I think it's also very relatable to our lives and how technology is greatly influencing all of our lives, all generations Mm -hmm. uh, for that. But in many ways it's accelerating so quickly. I just wonder how that affects our human behavior in our different parts of our lives, you know, and how we reach out to people, how we care about people, how we go about our daily lives. You know, it's how we adopt different technologies and how that relates to our communication, um, in different decades, you know, uh, of our lives. That fascinates me. Are we losing the art of talking on a phone as opposed to using our yes. phones and texting to one another. The Are answer we- is yes, Laura. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. And I have to say, sometimes I'm guilty in that I'll, instead of picking up the phone, I'll just send a quick text because in my head, that's easier to do. And then by the time I've had 10 texts back and forth, it's like, well, I should have just called. This makes no sense whatsoever. We've gone back and forth so long. So yes, it's, it's taking away our, you know, our ability to communicate with one another, to have conversations, to, to be able to speak in full sentences without emojis and, and you know, that kind of thing. I agree a hundred percent. And it will be interesting. I am thoroughly interested to see the 25 year olds now at midlife. What's that going to look like? Because I, I still communicate. I still talk on the phone. And, you know, even though I find myself sometimes not reaching for it first, I still do that. I wonder if the 25-year-olds, what their communication will be like when they hit midlife. I don't know, man. I I mean, have you ever talked to somebody who was like 16 to 21 at this <laughs> time? Mate? Yes. It's, it's like weird. It's it, actually weird. It's, it's... Do you... I think for, it's amazing... That because of technology, how different, and and again, my mom would say the same thing, you know, how different her midlife is than my midlife. And that's all because of technology. So the 16 year old now, so different than when I was 16. And and yet that really wasn't that long ago. It was 40 years ago. That's really not that long, but the leaps and bounds that have been made because of it, because of technology. And then the difference, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I... I think there's some real erosion of having casual conversation among younger people. I mean, I've seen some younger people are pretty good at it, but and there are, there are there is a lot there's like this weird almost like telepathic behavior they're exhibiting. Now it's like they don't talk to each other in like a casual conversation. It's it's a very weird robotic uncomfortable thing. Yeah. Uh, because they're not used to having it. They're not used right. to talking to somebody in depth about something. Now, listen, when you're 16 plus, I mean, it's not like you have a lot of depth to you generally (laughs) about this. I mean, I didn't, and I know a lot of people don't at that age, but still like this, like the awkwardness of having conversation because you're hiding in a texting conversation mainly or an emoji conversation, which is really strange to me. Um, Lack of connection. You know, conversation, and and as you were mentioning, casual conversation is a way to connect with people. And if you, if that's not happening and you're not having those kind of conversations, there's no connection. 
and we're not connecting to one another. I've, I've had uh, many uh, buddies who actually, um, you know, in their mid twenties and stuff. And, and it's funny the things they tell me, they're like, yeah, like dating's weird because people just have their phone out the whole yeah. time during the date. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, How do you there's get no to talking. Right. There's no How talking. How do you get to, get to know someone that's terrible? Yeah, it's just strange. I mean, I, I don't want to like say it's like, there's a lot of wonderful things and innovation at that age and stuff. But it's like, I'm noticing this trend of like, talkings be like, like foreign to people mm-hmm. at that age. It's like really like a thing like, I, I don't know how you do that. In fact, it was funny that on Amazon Prime, there's this awesome show called Upload. It's really hilarious. And it's kind of like the future. Okay. And, 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 and there's like dating. And in one scene, this guy and this girl, they're dating each other. And they're like, well, let's actually go out on a date. And they were like, what? Why? And they're like, well, let's actually learn about each other. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Wow. That's it's like this future, gen- the future right? of like, we don't, that's not common because we don't know how to, how do you do that? Right. You know? Right. It's amazing. It's crazy. Change. Yeah. It's changing for sure. It's definitely changing. And again, there's, there's both sides. There's just lots of amazing things about being that age and in this, and that generation. There's also some concerning things too, you know? So, but I'm sure everybody says that about every generation. Right. It shows generation. our age. I'm sure our parents were the same way. You know, those 16 year olds, how different they are. Oh, I'm sure. Like I grew up in like Gen X, you know, I was like, these are like the latchkey slacker generation yeah. supposedly yeah. i'm like i'm not like that i was never like that. <laughs> no, please don't put that label on me i'm not a slacker <laughs> like hardly yeah you know so but thank you Evan, for having this conversation always uh entertaining and uh you know fascinating to talk to people like yourself and have these in-depth conversations thank you great great questions great conversation i love it it just gives us all something to think about for sure. Well, um, I look forward for people to listening to this episode, which will be out pretty soon. And Laura, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Darian. I really appreciate it. Had a great time today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone. You made it. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of this place where the kids aren't asking for the Wi-Fi. Mom, can we go to the pool? And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffles Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.